grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Good morning. Good morning to you guys um, on this beautiful day. I uh, hope you're doing well. I uh, hope uh, things are going good for you and your family uh, as things continue to heat up in our culture and our nation. 
Uh, God is good. God is on the throne. No matter what happens, ever, you just remember Jesus is on the throne. There is nothing that's going to bump him off of that throne, okay? Nothing. Not the devil, not all the powers of hell, not any riot in any city, not any disease or virus. Nothing is going to ever knock Jesus off the throne. So you just hang on to Jesus. You kneel to only one. We kneel to Jesus. And as long as we stay right there in that position, in that posture, we're going to be fine no matter what happens, okay? When the going gets tough, that is what we're talking about. And uh, we're looking at people in the Bible that face decisions and trials and, and interesting things in their life and uh, how they made out with that. And uh, so it's kind of been exciting for me anyway to kind of look at these people and how they, how they approached their situations. Because we're a lot just like them, right? We, we face situations. We face things in this world and we have to decide like how we're going to go about it, how we're going to uh, handle it, how we're going to um, proceed like through the, the hardship and through the trial. And so, you know, I'm thankful that we have the word of God, you know, these scriptures right here, that we have the word of God, right, that we can, we can read, we can study, we can know the heart and the mind of God, and we can see clearly how God interacted with other people just like us in the past. And then, and then we can make whatever adjustments we need to make to line ourselves up with what we know to be right and pleasing to God. And like, we don't naturally do things that are pleasing to God. We have our own way. We have our selfish way. We have our kind of worldly impressed way. But to be able to look at the Word of God and, and realize that this is what God wants from us. This is how God wants us to respond or act. This changes everything. So stay in the Word. Read the Word. Spend time in the Word every week, every day if you can. But, but definitely every week, spend time in the Word of God so that you're absorbing the heart and the mind of Jesus. So that when you are in these tough situations, that will kick in. Like, it will already be there to be able to kick in and come out. If it's not here, it's not coming out when you need it the most. So keep putting the Word of God into your life. And when trials and tribulations come, you're going to be all right. Here it is, James 1. This is our springboard passage. Consider it pure joy. Trials are going to come. Many, many kinds. You're going to face trials of many kinds. They are coming. Some big, some small, some wide, some long, some last only seconds, some will last maybe months or maybe even years. Trials come of many kinds. Know that these testings of our faith are producing in us qualities that we will only get through trials. Maturity only comes by experience, by going through things, you, you grow up, you mature. Completion, you're going to become complete. A complete person, like, isn't that awesome? It's like, like when you go shopping for something, you look for something, like if you're going to buy a set of something, like golf clubs or dishes, like you don't want like part of the set. You got to have a complete set, right? To get the job done right. Like, and that's what God's doing in our life. He's making us complete. 
like in every area of our life, the way we respond to every possible thing, the way we go about our lives, the way we treat people, all the different aspects of life, God is working on us through trials to make us a complete person, not lacking, not lacking anything. Can you imagine that? That you, if you're following Christ, if your heart is like, and your mind is in it, it's like in the Word of God, and you're reading the Word of God, and you're studying the Word of God, and you're you're crying out to God, like, God, I need you every hour. I need you, Lord. You are, God is working on you. You may not see it all the time. You may not feel it all the time, but he is completing you. And one day you're going to get to a point, maybe not on this earth where you're not lacking anything completely, but you're moving more and more in that direction. You're becoming more and more like Jesus. So stay right there in the word. Keep singing those worship songs. Keep praising the Lord. Keep your heart and your mind on things above. And no matter what happens in this world, you're going to be able to handle it well. That's, that's a promise really from God. That's a promise from his word. And so this is our springboard passage. And, and that's amazing. Well, today, today when the going got tough, and we're going to see how it got tough, the boy gave it up. Okay, that's, we're going to look at this little guy. And he gave it up. He gave it all. And uh, Jesus did something amazing with what he gave up. Now, when you think about testing and trials and things like that, not every test, not every trial is a matter of life and death. Like it was maybe for Job, it was a matter of life and death. Or like it was for Daniel, who was facing the lion's death. Then, you know, that was a matter of life and death. Or like Paul, when he was shipwrecked, and that was a matter of life and death. Or like Stephen, like when he was about to be stoned to death. That Those trials, those tests are matters of life and death. And, and if we're not ready for the little trials in life, the ones that are not about life and death, we will never be ready for the, the major ones. And so God is preparing us for maybe something greater later on in our life that he wants to use us to, to have a powerful impact on the world. So, so it's important that we do the little things, the, the little trials. We face them well. But not everyone is a, a matter of life and death, right? Um, and so some of them, some of them are, are big trials. Some of the trials that we're going to face are small trials. In fact, some of the most powerful tests that we will, will be faced with in life are small ones. Most of them are small. They're not, they're not gigantic trials that we face. Uh, and, and the accumulation of small trials in our life is sometimes the devil's greatest strategy in a person's life, especially of a believer, that he knows he can't attack you with something big, but he can sure attack you with little things. And the accumulation of small trials can sometimes leave a big impact, right? Like, how do you go from North Carolina to California? You go, if you're walking, it's one step at a time, right? You just put one foot in front of the other foot, 
and eventually you can get to California. It's a long distance, coast to coast, but you can get there just one, one little step at a time. If you're gonna tear down a wall with a sledgehammer, it's gonna happen just one pounding hit at a time, right? You just keep hitting, you just keep hitting, and pretty soon you get a crack, and pretty soon the wall begins to fall over. Or like the boiling of a frog, you do it slowly. Or the destruction of a nation, right? It's gonna happen from a slow corruption from within. Like nobody's going to probably come to our country and bomb us out like with nukes. Uh, our, our military force is just too good and we're, we're, we're just too, we're, we're too uh, defensed in here. But we could easily destroy ourselves from within slowly but surely. And, and that is in a way what is happening to our country is we are, we are collapsing from the inside out, not from the outside upon us, but from our own destruction, our own evilness, our own selfishness. And that's how little things can add up to take down big things. And so small trials are, are so some small trials are, are, are small ones, but they have a big, a big impact on the world around them or even on you as a person, like the, the testing of your integrity, right? Little things, little things that you make decisions of on a daily basis. When you're talking to people, when you're doing your taxes, when you're doing your books, when you're telling people things, little things of our integrity mean a lot, right? It, 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 the whole makes our character and who we are as a person. And, and if you become a liar in little things, or deceitful in little ways, or untrustworthy in little things, it, it ruins the whole. It ruins all of you. Your character and your integrity can be in jeopardy by little things that you may not do right, right? The choice to tell the truth or to tell a lie, right? Right? Just, just to save your own skin. Sometimes, you know, it's a testing of our faith. It's a testing of our integrity or a temptation at times to tell a little white lie, right? Just to twist the truth just a little bit to sound a little better or to make you look a little better. Or, you know, little things like that. Small little things matter. They matter. They have the potential to do great, great things in a person's life. And just like, just like little things piled up can take down a giant, in, it's also in doing little things right, doing things well, that makes for a life that is pleasing to God. Do little things wrong and the outcome can be great against you. Do little things right and the outcome can become great for you. See, it's, it's, it's about the little things today. We're talking about little things. And Jesus said, Jesus said this. He said, he who is faithful with little will be faithful with much. And he says, he who can be trusted with little can be trusted with much. That's an important principle. Ben Franklin said this, watch the little things, a small leak can sink a big ship. A little leak in a big boat 
can take it down. Little things are so important. And a guy by the name of John Napo said this. Many ants can move a potato chip. That's a true story. You watch. You throw a potato chip out there on the ground and you watch a bunch of ants pick that thing up. And they will take it wherever they want. The point, the point is simple. The point is this. Never discount the little things. Never discount the little things. It's easy to overlook them, but never discount those things. One powerful, inspirational speaker once said, do you want to be successful every day? Begin by making your bed every morning. Do the little things and do the little things well for success, right? And so remember it was trumpets and candles in the story about Gideon against the Midianites. Remember it was candles and trumpets and pitchers that took down 135,000 Midianites. Trumpets and candles, not swords, not guns, not tanks, not chariots, not horses, not big bad warriors, candle, pitcher, trumpet. 135,000 Midianites turned on each other and killed one another in that same event. It wasn't 32,000 that Gideon took the battle, but only 300. See, God doesn't need large amounts. He just needs what you got. He needs faithfulness. He needs a few good men who will be completely devoted to him or women that God can use in a mighty, mighty way. And who took down a giant called Goliath? It wasn't some big warrior, some savage beast equal to Goliath. It was a little boy. It was a little boy who trusted God. Little things matter. Little things can be so powerful. And little people can be so powerful too. Just consider the irritation of a small pebble in your shoe. Walking around, you know it's there, it's digging into your foot, and it begins to hurt. Or a tiny little splinter in your finger. How irritating that can be. Little things have big impacts. And what starts a fire? Just a little spark, right? Little things, big impact. It's the little things that, that can determine a big outcome. So enters our story or our message today, a little boy, this little guy. He had followed the crowd, probably, I guess. Maybe he's uh, just following the crowd because they're wandering along the, the Sea of Galilee, that western side of the Sea of Galilee, and he's following the crowd. Maybe he's with his parents. Maybe it's, it's, it, it was just maybe uh, the little boy and his father, and they went to the other side of the lake because they were going to go fishing. Uh, who knows? We don't know why the little boy is there, but he's there. And, and, then, and then out of nowhere, to interrupt their fishing trip or whatever's going on, all these people, before you know it, all, there's all these people show up. Like the Bible says 5,000 men come walking around the shore because they see Jesus and his disciples in a boat crossing the Sea of Galilee, or at least cutting the corner to get away for... Uh, from the people so they could spend some time uh, like on a retreat 
to just think and pray, and Jesus can talk to his disciples. And all these people come wandering around the Sea of Galilee, and they follow they follow Jesus and the disciples. So there's, there's this little boy, and he's kind of caught up in the mix. And, and then before you know it, there's Jesus later on in the day, and, and Jesus is there, and, and there's a lot of hungry people there. And out of nowhere, these, this little boy finds himself in the middle of this huge crowd and all of this commotion. And there's hungry people, and there's Jesus, and there's this little boy, and then there's this adult issue that arises. The people had been there all day, Jesus spent the day teaching, and they're all hungry, they're all hungry, and the, the issue is, how are we going to feed these people? And who would have thought who would have thought on that day that this little boy, this little guy, would be the hero? You know, he could have stayed quiet, right? This little guy, he's in the crowd. There's this need to rise about food. This little boy, he's there. And he, he could have stayed quiet, right? Like a lot of people. He could have just hid in the crowd and, and acted like, you know, he was in the shadows, or like some spoiled children like a Veronica or a Violet, he could have said, it's my lunch, you can't have it. It's mine, 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 mine. You know, like a lot of people. But something, something in the heart of this little boy, maybe the prompting of mom or dad, but maybe just the prompting of the Holy Spirit in his heart, he steps forward and he says to Andrew, Sir, I'll share my lunch. He says, Sir, to, 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 to Andrew, I see there's a need here. These people are hungry and there's no one to feed them and there's no food. But I'll share my lunch. And so here's this boy and he's willing to share his lunch. Let's read the passage. It comes out of John chapter 6. Look what it says. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs that he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountainside and he sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and he saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than a half of year's wages to buy enough bread for each one just to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy, and he's got five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they all sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted, and he did the same with the fish. And when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather up the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted 
So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. <laughs> so this is the story. This is what's going on. We call it the feeding of the 5,000. It's this great event. All these people, Jesus is teaching. They're all hungry. And Jesus is going to feed 5,000 men plus women plus children, however many are there. It could be up to maybe 10,000 if you just double the men with a wife or a kid. 10,000, not unreasonable to think that there's 10,000 people in this little area with Jesus when this event happens. We are at, check it out, we're at the Sea of Galilee. Okay, it's the Sea of Galilee. Um, the Sea of Galilee is pear-shaped, okay? It's kind of fat at the top and it gets a little narrow at the bottom. It's a pear-shaped lake and it's in this bowl. The Mediterranean Sea is off to the left and, and the, the Mediterranean Sea is low. And so you're going up into the hills and then in the hills is this bowl of what is called the Sea of Galilee. It's pear-shaped. To the north is Capernaum and to the south at the bottom of the lake where the water is going to run out is the Jordan River that's going to run 156 miles to the Dead Sea, okay, uh, to where the Dead Sea is. And so, so there's this beautiful lake. It's fresh water. It's the biggest lake, the freshest water in the whole area that isn't salt water. It's fresh water. And um, Many of the, the apostles and the disciples are from these towns, Bethsaida, Capernaum, um, G, Caesarea Philippi. And so this area is the, the area called Galilee, and Jesus spends a lot of time. Cana is over in this area where he turns water into wine. So this is a very popular place. They do a lot of fishing on this lake. It's a great spot for fish and for business and for people and a lot of towns and cities. Tiberius is here. Uh, live around the Sea of Galilee. It is 686 uh, square miles of sea. Of, of, of sea. It is also um, 13 miles long and about 8 miles wide. So it's not a small pond or a small lake. It's a pretty good sized lake. You, you could see across it mainly because you're up on the hill so you can see across and there's hills pretty much on every side. So you can see the land over on the other side, but it's a long distance away. It's got several names, Tiberius, Kinnereth, Kinneret, uh, and the maximum depth of the Sea of Galilee is about 141 feet deep. So this is no shallow lake. Of course, as it moves to the sides, it gets shallower and shallower, but this is a big sea and Jesus spends a lot of time here. So we're on the far side of the lake over here, the feeding of the 5,000. And they were, they were in Capernaum, and they get in a boat and they sail over here to this part of the, the country. It's quiet. There isn't a lot of development. Most of the development is on this side. And so they get over here to get away. There's hills, and the people walk. They walk around, the thousands walk around because they see the boat going over to this spot. And so they're following Jesus. There's a lot of people, and they all show up because they want to be near Jesus. And it was a long day. They were there for a while, and it's eating time, and everybody now is hungry. 
and it's hot and it's dry and it's been a long, long day. But now the scripture says it is evening. It's evening. And the disciples, they want to send the crowds away. Let's let them go away and go get food for themselves and return home. But Jesus says to them, you give them something to eat. Now, he knew what was, he was going to do, the scripture says. This is a test for them. But Jesus says to them, hey, the people are hungry. They've been here all day. Hey, you guys, figure it out. You give them something to eat. And they're looking around. And they're seeing thousands and thousands of people. You know, to look at a crowd of 10,000 or five to 10,000 people, that is a lot of people. That is a, that's a, not a small group. That's huge. That's a lot of people. And they're thinking, that is a lot of money. If we were to go to the towns and buy food and bring it back here and feed all these people, we don't even have enough money to do this job. What do you mean, Jesus, feed them? We don't, we don't have food to give them. Like, like, what do you want us to do? All four Gospels reveal the story about the five loaves and the two fish. But only John, only John reveals to us where the food came from. John's Gospel is the only one that tells us about the boy. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all talk about the, the food. They talk about the loaves and the fish, but they don't say where it came from. Only John does. And this little detail, I think, is so important. So this little boy, he's got a pouch on, right? He's got his little strapped over his shoulder pouch. It's like a man purse, you know, probably has some cool stuff in there. Maybe this is the, the little boy's like, he's a boy. It's his treasure chest. Maybe he's taking it with him. He's going on a journey with dad, mom, we're going over to the other side of the lake. And maybe he's got some cool rocks in there, some things that he picked up along the the trails on the way to where they are now. Maybe there's some bugs in there. Who knows? But we do know that among the things that he's got, maybe a slingshot, there's, there's, there's these loaves, these, these, these two small, maybe dried up, rolled up in something fish, and then five, five like small breadsticks that you would get like smaller than from Olive Garden. And they're in there too. It's this little snack. Maybe it's his lunch. You know, we're going over there. Might get hungry, and he's got this stuff. And this little boy, he hears of the need. He's in the crowd, and he hears Jesus say, you give them something to eat. And they're looking around, and he's standing there, and they're looking around wondering, how are we going to do this? We, we don't have anything. And this little boy, this little boy, thinks to himself, he ponders to himself, he, he considers his little pouch as he's looking around and nobody else is saying anything. The disciples are wondering how we're going to pull this off. And this little guy says, I can help. I'll pitch in. Now that is huge. That is so huge. This, I can help. I'll pitch in is the heart of this little boy in the midst of thousands of people is what every person in our nation should be saying right now. Not what can you do for me? Not what I deserve. 
Not what I should get. Not me, 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 but, but rather what this little boy said. I can help. I'll pitch in. Now see, if everyone in our nature nation had that kind of attitude, that kind of, of outlook, this world, our nation, would be far better off. And in fact, if, if the, the members of our church, if those who are believers would simply say this, I can help, I'll pitch in, the church would be so much stronger, so much better, so much more impactful in the world around us, our community around us. There, there is nowhere, there is no time for anyone to ever, like, hang their cleats of faith up on a shelf or on a hook. There is never a time for anyone to ever say, I've done enough. No, you haven't done enough. In fact, I hope that when I die, I die serving the Lord. I hope I go out on a mission field or go out serving somewhere out there in the world, in the community, in a gutter, somewhere. I don't want to just sit back and fade away. I want to go out, and I hope all of us as Christians want to go out strong, go out serving, go out fighting, go out trying to make an impact on the world around them. That is what this little boy said. I'll just give it up. I'll just give up what I got. I've got a snack. I know there's a lot of people here and it's not going to go far, but I'm going to give it to Jesus. I'm going to give it to the disciples. I'm going to give it up and let's see what Jesus can do with it. How awesome like is that? And so the boy gives up his lunch. And then once in the hands of Jesus, once he gives it up and it's now in the possession, possession of Jesus, the miracle begins. That's an important part. See, the miracle is waiting on you. See, and, and this is true about a lot of things in your life. Like God is just waiting for you to give it to him so he can do something amazing with it. And your unwillingness to give it to him is holding back another miracle. In fact, you're not going to see a miracle until you do give it to him. Most of us want the miracle first, and then we'll follow. But that's not what God wants. God wants you to say, you are God. You are everything. You can have all that I am. And then God will do the miracle. He's waiting on you and me. God has already acted. God has already done his part. He doesn't need to do any more. He sent his son, the ultimate sacrifice of love. He's provided salvation. We have everything we need. But God is more than willing, I believe, to do even greater things if we'll just give him all that we are and, and, and who we are and just lay it at his feet and say, God, here I am. Here's everything I have. It's in your hands. Do something big with it. Jesus then does four things. He does four things that I think are pretty amazing. Here they are real quick. He has the loaves and the fishes brought to him. He, he has them brought, and I, I'm, I'm guessing, no doubt, Andrew brings a little boy, and he says, this little boy's got these fish and these loaves, Jesus, but, like, here they are. And, I, and there's no doubt, as Jesus took these, he's probably going, this is awesome. And I, no doubt, he winks at the little boy, like, like, with this thought in mind, good job, little man, good job, way to come forward, way to step up, way to give it up. And then, like, maybe whispers to him, now just watch and see what God will do with it. 
You know, so the first thing Jesus does is he gets the loaves and the fish. He, he needs what you've got in your hands. And so he gets it. The next thing he does, he has people sit down in groups of like 50 and 100 because there's 5,000 plus people here and they got to sit in groups. So, so when the miracle happens, they can begin to distribute the food to the people. So the people are getting ready for the miracle. It hasn't happened yet, but the people are getting ready for it again. God calling us to go, God calling us to act, God calling us to believe, and then he will do something amazing. And so then Jesus looks up to heaven, and he blesses the food, and he breaks the loaves. And the last thing he does is he gives them to the disciples, and the disciples begin to take it to the people, and it just keeps coming. It just keeps coming. And you got to wonder what's going on, and they're, they're like, holding up their garments and they're filling it with bread and they're filling it with fish and they're taking it and they're feeding all these people and it just kept multiplying and multiplying and multiplying and they all ate and they all got full and they all were satisfied this wasn't just a couple bites or a snack for everybody this was they were all full and satisfied and there's 12 basketfuls left over after it's all over and so there's more left over than Jesus even began with. That is incredible. We refer to this story as the feeding of the 5,000, but maybe this story should be called the boy who gave it all up. Because to me, this little boy, Jesus is the hero of the story, but this little boy is like right there. He could easily be considered the hero of the story because he did what no one else was willing to do. He did what no one else did. He was willing to speak up. So what exactly, what exactly do we learn from this little boy? What does he teach us? First thing he teaches us is this, always be prepared. Always be prepared. We don't know all the particulars of this boy. We don't know why he came or who he came with or, or, or anything about his lunch. We, we don't know why he was there uh, or, or, um, or who his parents are. Like nobody else is named. His name isn't even in there. It's just the boy. The boy. That's his name, the boy. Because apparently none of that really matters. What matters is we team up with the Lord and we do great things. It doesn't matter whose name is on it. it doesn't matter who gets recognition for it. What matters is... We connect with God, and God does great things when we do that. And so he seems to be the only one of the 10,000, or the 5,000 plus, who seems to be prepared. He's the only one. This one little kid came with some food. Nobody else seemed to do that. And the Bible urges us over and over and over again about being prepared, like in our lives, always being prepared, always being ready for whatever God is going to do next. Matthew 24 says, be alert. The owner of the house, if the owner of the house knew what time he was going to be robbed, he would have been ready, right? Be prepared, Jesus says. Matthew 25, the 10 virgins, remember, with the lamps, five of them came with extra oil. Five of extra oil, that's something. Uh, the other five didn't bring extra oil. When the, the bridegroom came, they weren't prepared. Remember that story? And in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, the scripture says, Let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. Titus said, Be ready for every good deed. Now, this little boy, he was ready for the next good deed, and he stepped up. And 1 Peter, the scripture says, Always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. Right? That's what Peter says. And this little boy teaches us to be prepared, to be kingdom ready. Always be kingdom ready. Number two, age does not matter. 
How old you are does not matter. How old or how young you are does not matter. God can do great things through older people, through middle-aged people, and through younger people. This little guy made a huge impact with such a small offering. Five loaves, two fish for thousands and thousands of people. And although he might have hesitated in doing so, he probably thought to himself, this is kind of insignificant. There's so many people. I only got a couple loaves and a couple fish. What good will they be? Uh, and pos possibly in spite of some of the people around him, like, like hey, maybe he's saying, hey, I've got some bread and people are laughing at him. Like, what's that going to do, kid? That, that's not going to be enough to feed anybody. What are you thinking? Put that away. Who knows what kind of, um, what kind of uh, verbal abuse he may have went through to, to step up and say, hey, I know it's not much, but I'm going to give it up. He's a little guy and he's willing to step up. He did not let his age stop him from participating in what Jesus was trying to do. And it turned out to be all that Jesus needed. All that Jesus needed. See, age, age does not matter. Number three, whatever you have, whatever you have or you think is yours, give it up to God and do it now. Okay? Just admit to God that it's his. Just tell the Lord, God, this is yours. Everything I have is yours. If you're blessed, then bless God back because you know it came from him. If you live day to day like a lot of us live, month to month, paycheck to paycheck, thank God that you are able to do that. There are lots of people out in this world who, who don't do that, that don't have the money to live paycheck to paycheck, and they are living in poverty levels. So whatever it is you have, whether it's little or much, Give it to God. Let him do what he wants. They said, they said, the disciples said, we have this boy, he's got five barley loaves and two, fall, two small fish. Then they said, but what difference is that going to make among all these people? See, they had their doubts as well. Like, like, like to adults, this, this isn't adding up. Like, you know, there's thousands of people. We got five loaves and two fish. What, what good is this going to do? This is not going to get the job done. But what they failed, what they failed to add to the equation is one five-letter word, Jesus. They failed to the add to the equation, Jesus. See, when you give whatever it is you've got, no matter how small it is, and then you add Jesus to it, miracles are going to happen. It's going to explode in a miracle. It's going to multiply. God is going to do something amazing with it. You and what you have is so small and so limited. But if you put in a pinch of Jesus, it becomes unlimited. And the impossible now becomes possible. And here's the thing. The miracle, this miracle of feeding all these people that we call the feeding of the 5,000 does not happen if the little boy doesn't surrender his lunch. The miracle does not happen if you do not surrender. Bottom line, it doesn't happen if you don't surrender. If this little boy remains quiet in this very moment, everyone there goes home hungry. Hungry, tired, and weary. Turn it over. Turn it all over to Jesus because it's not yours anyway. Give it up to God. And the last thing is this. Number four is this. The end result will blow your mind. When you surrender it all, 
be prepared, be prepared to be blown away. Be prepared to be blown away with what God is going to do with what you give him. Maybe not in an instant. It may be over a period of time. But you are going to look back and be, and, and be amazed at what God was able to do. The miracle only happens when you give it all up. And then, and then, once you give it all up, you better stand back because something big is about to happen. It happened. It happened before. It happened many times before. It happened at a wedding banquet in Cana, right? When you give something to God or God gets a hold of something, he will multiply it into something better. It happened on the lake with an empty net that was suddenly filled with a lot of fish. It happened in the middle of a funeral possession, procession when the dead girl was raised and the funeral was over. And it happened that time when there was nothing and God said, let there be. Not to mention, it happened with the quail or the cloud or the water or the parting of the sea or a virgin birth or lions with no appetite or a guy walking on waves and that little pebble that found its mark in the forehead of a giant and on and on and on. When you give it to God, when Jesus has a hold of something, that you lay on his feet or lay in his hands. He is going to do something amazing with it. It happened. It happened before. And miracles, they will happen again. They will happen again. Take a lesson from this boy. Give it up. Give it up. When the going gets tough, when a decision has to be made, the boy, he gave it all up to Jesus. Pray with me. Father, I pray that you'll help us to be the kind of people that learn from everyone, especially today, this little boy. Teach us how to give it up. God, help us to, to give up not only all that we have, but all that we are. God, help us to begin by giving you us. Lord, we lay ourselves at your feet. We need you, Jesus. We need the salvation that only comes from you. God, save us, save our land, save this world, God. Help us to, to find our way back to you, Lord Jesus. Help us to give our life to Christ, to, to let Jesus come in and forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness and our dirtiness, our spiritually dirtiness. And God, wash us clean by your, your blood. And make us whole again with you, God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Be safe. And go. Go and give it all up.